Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to John chapter 4. And you're going to think, oh, this is the same message we've heard a hundred times. Well, maybe it is. John 4, verse 35. Jesus said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, I pray that you would speak through me your words to your people here this evening. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would go away having made a decision and having been brought closer to Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The harvest is white. That's what Jesus said. You say, it's 2022. Look at the world. Look at how bad it is. Yeah, it's bad. I got news for you. It's been bad for a long time. I know things are getting worse here in America. I was a bus driver for a few months while we were back in Wisconsin. And so I'd, you know, go out on the weekends and then back during the week back in McQuanago and uh, drove bus for the public school. And I realized America has a state religion. And it's enforced. If you're not a part of it, you're taboo. You've got to be a secular humanist if you're an American. And they teach you that in school, and they force it on everybody. They kicked God out in 1962, 1963, somewhere around there. And ever since then, they've been training our students, and they started even before then, but they've been training our students to be atheists and not to believe in God. But even though that is true, we still have the promises of God in Scripture that hold true. In the last uh, several years in South Africa, the Lord has done a work. The harvest field is white there, but I believe the harvest field is white everywhere. There is a harvest to be reaped everywhere. And uh, we thank you for supporting us as we've been missionaries over the past several years. Um, one, one story I think I need to tell you. Uh, one day we were out looking for a car because our family was expanding, and this was a few years ago, and we realized, you know what, this Land Rover is getting a little bit crowded, so we'd better expand, get a minibus. And they probably have similar ones in the Philippines, these 10-seater Toyotas. Uh, I don't know, maybe they fit 16 over there, I'm not sure, but uh, they also have the big ones there too, but uh, I was looking for this 10-seater Toyota, my wife gets a text on WhatsApp, Mrs. Roberts, I really need help, Um, could you, uh, you know, I need to go to the hospital, and you know, you could, if you helped everybody that needed help, you wouldn't be able to get anything done, because all you'd be doing is helping people, but isn't that what life is about? But you kind of have to pick and choose, and you got to have the Lord speak into you in order to know who to help. But I knew that we need to help this lady, or she's going to die. She's really sick. She's going to go to the hospital. But 
or she's going to go to the clinic. They're just going to give her some pills and send her home, and she's going to die. So I was like, well, we don't want that to happen. She's a church member, and we care about her, and she's desperate. But she's got four, five kids, four at home with her, one in a squatter's camp because it's closer to school. And uh, the only way we're going to be able to help her is if we take her kids into our home until she gets better. So we decided that. We went over to her little room that she was living in with her four kids, and she was there hunched over on her bed and uh, told her, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to go to the hospital unless we take your kids to our house. Would you be willing to do that? Yes. So have you ever seen someone that had pneumonia and their lungs were almost filled up with fluid? Have you ever met somebody like that? Or maybe a, an animal that was, you know, had pneumonia, a calf. And I grew up on the farm, and there was calves that they looked good on the outside, but they were about dead. Well, this, I could see her, and I knew this isn't good. So we took her to the hospital, and I checked her in there. And last uh, thing I could remember after checking her in was she was sitting there in her wheelchair on an oxygen tube, Took her kids home, called her up, said, hey, your kids are fine. I'll see you in the morning. And uh, took her kids to school in the morning uh, and told her brother, hey, your mom's in the hospital. Uh, And he was shocked. Then I went to the principal's office to tell them the news, and they had news for me. They said, well, we got a call from the hospital. Uh, They found our number on her file and called us, and she died. So now we had... Four kids, single mom, no dad in the picture, and a fifth child that actually ended up coming to live with us to help take care of his kids. And shortly before that, I'd been telling my wife, hey, we got four kids. I don't know how we can handle any more. The Lord said, yes, you can, four to nine. And uh, he provided. We ended up uh, realizing we need to take care of these kids. The Lord just impressed that upon my heart. And so we kept them, and we had them for about three, three and a half years. And just on Friday, there was a decision made by the judge to allow them to go into a ministry that is independent Baptist, that have like an orphanage-type ministry with South Africans caring for children. Uh, And they do have the the youngest three of the children now, And so we're thankful God has taken care of all of them. Um, But all five of those kids came to the Lord uh, through that decision we made. The Lord of the harvest knows what he's doing. And Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. I want us to see number one. In order to be used in the harvest, we have to get the right perspective, the proper perspective of the harvest. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Now, I grew up on a farm, and even in Africa, I've done some uh, work with vegetables and stuff. And when I see a field, I see something different than probably most of you see. Uh, kind of like when 
my dad had some visitors from California and Wisconsin, and they went by a field, and they said, what's that? Someone said, that's a field of corn. They said, well, I thought that came in a can. Now, most of you aren't that ignorant, I'm sure. But, you know, when I see a field, I see, oh, hey, it hasn't rained as much as it should in New York. Uh, they need more rain. Thankfully, you're getting some rain. Uh, you know, something's not going right here. Or, hey, that, that crop is really tall. It's doing well. Uh, that's the perspective of someone who's been involved in farming. The average person might say, oh, wow, the weather has been great for the last two months. It hasn't rained. We've been able to, you know, go out, do all our activities, and the farmers, meanwhile, are out in their field on their knees praying for rain desperately. Now, the, that's kind of how it, it is here. Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white, all ready to harvest. We need to get the proper perspective of the harvest. Now, how does that happen? Well, Isaiah 6, another familiar passage. This is what happened to somebody that got the proper perspective of the harvest. And I think it's just the perfect illustration of what needs to happen to us in order for us to get God's heart for the harvest. And when I say the harvest, I'm not talking about somewhere far away. I'm not talking about China, although they are included. I'm not talking about the far corners of Russia somewhere. Yes, that's included, but I'm talking also about Eden, New York, and the next town over, and the next town over. I know you know that, but it's the people right next door. And Isaiah it says in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, notice that I saw also the Lord. If you want to get the proper perspective of the harvest, that starts with a proper perspective of the Lord of the harvest. He said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain, or with two, he covered his face, and with twain, he covered his feet, and with twain, he did fly. So he had six wings, two of them were for flying, four of them were for what? For covering. Why? They were in the presence of a holy God. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. He sees God in all his glory, and there's something that happens in his heart. He says, woe is me. He gets the right perspective of God, and that causes him to have the right perspective of himself. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Have you... Recently, seen any pictures from the 90s? You know, ladies with the big bangs. And I don't, I don't know what the guys' hairstyles were. It's kind of always the same. But, you know, did you ever notice that the way Christians dressed back then was different? Did you notice that Christians 
aren't saying, woe is me anymore. They're not saying, I'm undone. They're not, they don't think there's really that big of a problem. You know, the problem is with CNN. No. <laughs> CNN is so far gone that they're not the problem we should be worried about. The problem we should be worried about is the problem right here. Woe is me. Look at Christianity in America. Wow, it has changed. It's shocking how close American Christianity is to the world. It's shocking what people think is okay that even 20, 30 years ago, they didn't think was bad. I mean, they they didn't think was okay. They thought it was horrible, evil. Why? Because we've lost our perspective of who God is. Now, this is not a different God than we have today. Same God, Revelation 4, verse 8. This is a vision of John, in John's vision of the throne room of God. What does he see? He sees the same thing. And by the way, this is John's vision of the throne room of God, and this is a prophetic vision, isn't it? So God is still going to be the same in the future as he was then, and the same thing John still hears being said, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And what is the response? The response is the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So the proper perspective of God will cause us to realize our sinfulness. And when we realize our Sinfulness, something happens. We realize we need cleansing. Isaiah realized he needed cleansing. And it says, the seraphims flew unto me, having a live coal in his hand. One of the seraphims flew unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. So now he's received the cleansing that he needed. That's what the church needs today. This is what each individual, independent, fundamental Baptist church and every other Bible-believing church needs is cleansing. I recently heard a couple of years ago, and I won't mention his name because you might be shocked that he would say something like this, but uh, one of our politicians who independent fundamental Baptists we're looking up to, quoted 2 Chronicles 7.14 in one of his campaign speeches. And he said, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. Did he miss anything? Yeah. He missed the thing that we've been missing for the last 70 years in America turning from our wicked ways, repentance. And 
That's what is needed. And if that does happen, we'll get the cleansing that we need. And when we get the cleansing that we need, notice what happens. Verse 8, then we start to hear the voice of God. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Well, what happened in Great Britain? They used to be sending out missionaries all over the world. Well, the same thing that's happening in America today. They're not, Americans aren't hearing the voice of God sending them into the mission field. There's just such a few uh, number of young missionaries. You look at the Bible colleges and universities that used to be sending out droves of missionaries and pastors and church planners, and they're just sending out plumbers today and lawyers and politicians. And, you know, we want Christian politicians and lawyers and plumbers and everything, but my point is we're not hearing the voice of God saying, go to the harvest field. Why? Because we need the cleansing. We need the right view of God in order to get the right view of the harvest. When we get the right view of God, we'll then hear the voice of God saying, go into the harvest. Whom shall I send? And then we'll say, who am I? Here am I, send me. And then I want us to see also, in order to get the proper perspective of the harvest, we need to see the scope of the harvest. The scope of the harvest, Matthew 13, 38, the field is the world. That hasn't changed, hasn't changed. The, the world still needs to be reached. Teach all nations, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, the unreached, the uncontacted. The majority of missionaries are still going to the places they've been going for a while. We need to start sending missionaries to the places that haven't been getting them. One of the only missionaries I know going to Russia is actually a South African couple. And they are currently uh, raising support in South Africa, pioneering missionary deputation in South Africa, and they're raising their support. And the first, uh, well, I was planning to go back on August 2nd. That's not going to happen. Uh, our visas haven't been renewed. But the, the first uh, Sunday I was supposed to be back, he was going to preach for us. And uh, they've been laboring in Kamchatka. Uh, why? Because all of those places still need to be reached. The field is still the world. So we need to see the scope of the harvest. We need to see the condition of the harvest. And this is so important. It's both challenging and encouraging. Uh, John 4, verse 35. We've started there tonight. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, what does that mean? Well, you've heard the song, America, America, and you heard about the fields of golden grain. That's not what we're talking about here, I don't believe. We're talking about the fields of white grain that if you stick your sickle to it, some of that wheat is just going to fall on the ground and you're going to lose the harvest. Somebody needs to get out there and reap it now before it's lost forever. Recently, I was uh, driving down Stone School Road in McQuanago uh, and saw in the field these big bands of green. 
growing, looked like grass, but I knew what it was. I knew, and I hadn't been around for the previous season, but I, I knew that someone must have planted wheat or barley in that field the year before. The, har- the combine came through that field uh, with the big, you know, rollers on the front, pulling in the, the grain, cutting it, processing it, and shooting the straw out the back. But you know what else went out the back as well? Some of the grain went out the back, fell on the ground, and then it sprouted, it germinated, and then in the spring there's these nice green lush bands in the field. And do you think that farmer feels good about that? No. It's not going to do him any good. It's gone. It's lost forever. He's going to have to plow it in. He's going to have to spray Roundup because he has to get a new crop into the field. Jesus says the fields are white. That's a challenge. We need to get out there and reap it before it's too late. That neighbor of yours, if you don't get involved in their lives, they may die before you reach them. That family that you know God wants you to reach, better go reach them before it's too late. But it's also encouraging. The fields are white. That means you can go out in faith knowing there's people that can be reached and are ready to be reached. Pastor Cole talked about how the Holy Spirit prepares people. He's still preparing people. The promise is still true. Jesus said, I will send the comforter. He will convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So number one, get a proper perspective. Number two, get a passion for the harvest. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Paul, Romans chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 9. Look at his passion for the harvest. He said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, he's known as the apostle to the Gentiles, but he still wanted to reach his people. He loved them, and he he had such a passion for them. He had to say in verse 1, he said like three, four different ways, hey, I'm telling you the truth. My conscience is bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have continual heaviness. In fact, I love them so much that if it were possible, I would be willing to be accursed from Christ. Now, how many people in the Bible were willing to trade their salvation for their people? Only three people I know of were Paul, Moses, and one other person was willing to trade their life for our salvation. And that was Jesus. And he did it. He left the glories of heaven to die on the cross. And shouldn't we follow his example and have a passion to reach the lost, to reach the harvest? You know that that farmer, when September, October rolls around, he's been uh, waiting all year for that time. And he's checking the, the moisture content of his crops, and when that moisture content hits the right level, he gets out there, and he harvests the grain. He harvests the corn. He harvests his crop. 
He's got a passion for the harvest. You know, do you have a moisture content gauge in your spirit? You know, can you sense when someone is ready to hear the gospel, someone is ready to be saved? Do you have a passion for the harvest? Number three, pray for the harvest. Look over at Romans 10 while we're there. Romans 10 verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul didn't just have a passion. He did something with it. He knew that in himself he couldn't do anything. But through God, all things are possible, even the salvation of souls. And you can't do it without God. Impossible. I can't convince someone in their mind that they can be saved. I, I, I don't know how it happens. I can't figure it out. I don't know how it was that one day I was ready to be saved, except that the Holy Spirit did it. He did something in my heart to convince me that I was on my way to hell. And I can't do that. You know, I can go through some formula, you know, present some formula to somebody and hope they make a decision, but without the Holy Spirit, it's meaningless. So we need to pray for the harvest. And yes, you can pray for people to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. I remember when I was in Bible college, there was this lady there who had such a passion for souls. And I remember her her saying, you know, I'm praying that all the people in the world will be saved. And, you know, lack of faith. You think, how's that? That's never going to happen. But what does God say? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. She was praying for God's will to be done. And then God says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Hey, prayer is important. Prayer is missing in churches today. It's so sad that Wednesday nights, church prayer meetings are so empty and so little time is spent on prayer. We need to pray for the harvest. We need to pray for laborers to go. Pray there for the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Number four, prepare for the harvest. It's not enough to just, you know, be like Isaiah, get that right perspective, and then start getting a passion, and then start praying. You need to, by faith, start preparing to get out into the harvest field. And, you know, get your, get your sickle uh, sharpened. Get your tools ready. Have some faith. Hey, God, I believe you can give me a harvest. You know, get, get some verses memorized that you can share with the lost. And by the way, when you get out there and you start uh, witnessing to the lost, you're going to realize, hey, I need some more answers. And you're going to get some more verses. And you, you keep getting ready and keep preparing. Maybe you don't have that passion. One of the ways you can prepare for the harvest is, That song, give me a passion for souls, dear Lord, a passion to save the lost. Pray that prayer. By the way, many of the hymns in our hymn books, they're prayers. 
as we sing them. Pray them to God. You know, ask God. How do you prepare? Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for direction. Lord, where do you want me to go next in your harvest field? He's the Lord of the harvest. He's got a plan for your life. I believe God has a plan for everybody's life. I don't believe God intends for anybody to go to hell. He has a plan for everybody how that they can serve him in the harvest field, how they can be used to glorify him. So pray, God, what is your plan for my life? What do you want me to do? As soon as Saul was saved, God had a plan. God's plan was that he'd be the apostle of the Gentiles. And he told Ananias, Ananias was scared to go and lay his hand on the apostle Paul for him to receive sight. He's like, hey, this is the guy that was going to arrest Christians. And God said, no, I've got a plan for him. He's going to reach the Gentiles. He's going to be an apostle that will be a light to the ends of the earth. God's got a plan for you. Find out what his plan is. Acts chapter 16 talks about how Paul was going to go into Asia, Asia Minor, and he was going to preach the gospel there. And he had all these plans of where he was going to go, but the Holy Spirit kept saying, no, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. Go to Macedonia. Hey, most of us here tonight have some European blood in us, okay? Aren't you glad that someone obeyed the Holy Spirit and said, hey, go to Macedonia? He went there. And I can think of another man in the Bible. His name was Philip. I'm glad that Philip heard the voice of the Holy Spirit that said, go join thyself to this chariot. And he went, and the gospel went into Africa. By the way, before it ever went into Europe. I... I like sharing that with the Africans. Hey, this isn't just the white man's religion. It went to Africa before it went to Europe. And by the way, if you study the history of Ethiopia, it's really interesting. They claim to have the Ark of the Covenant, by the way. And there's a priest of the Coptic church. His whole job for his life is to guard the Ark of the Covenant. So I doubt they do, but hey, you never know. But what? why do I say that? Well, you know, for... Many years, there were Jews in Ethiopia. And that Ethiopian eunuch was up to worship at Jerusalem. And on his way back to Ethiopia, he's in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. He gets saved. He goes back. And a lot of those people who were Jews converted to Christianity. And that's why there's all those churches in Ethiopia today. Because someone was preparing for the harvest because they were listening to the Holy Spirit. Number five, pursue the harvest. This is my last point, pursue the harvest. It's not just enough to be ready, be prepared, be praying, but we've got to do something about our decision. I remember when I was 12 years old, I got down on my knees. The front pew was the altar. And I said, Lord, whatever you want with my life, I'll do it. But you know what? That didn't get me on the mission field. That was just a little step along the way. There had to be a day when I decided with my wife, we are going to go to Africa. And we had to make that decision. There's got to come a day in your life where you make a decision. 
Maybe it's tonight. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to reach that neighbor next door, and we're going to do everything we can to reach them. Pursue the harvest. Pursue a soul. Pursue a family. You know, fill these, these wings here. Maybe they're full on Sunday morning, but let's, maybe we should invite people to Sunday night, you know. Pursue a nation. John Knox was pursuing Scotland. Give me Scotland or I die. Read the biography of David Livingston. And it, whenever you think your life is hard, you'll realize, oh, my life is easy. David Livingston had to sleep in a swamp, had to go through waist-high mud and then sleep in it at night. And then he died re- trying to reach Africa, bring the light of the gospel to the people. His, his goal in Africa was so broad that None of us, I'm sure, can even understand. He, was, he had a three-pronged approach to Africa. Open Africa up to trade so that he can stop the slave trade and bring the gospel to Africa. He was a missionary with a great vision. We need to get a vision like that. There was a young man named John Allen Chow. You may have, heard of, may have heard of him. He had a vision for the North Sentinelese, a people that still need to be reached, two to 400 people that need the gospel. I remember I was at a missions conference many years ago and someone read that book, Operation World, and talked about the island of North Sentinel out in the Indian Ocean amongst the Andaman Island, an, an island that's untouched by outside civilization, that these people kill the people that come and This man heard about that island, and he prepared, and he prepared, and he prepared. He wasn't just like some crazy white guy that decided to go uh, to some island and, and preach. No, he prepared. He got ready. He quarantined himself before he went so he wouldn't spread disease to these people. And he went, and he sacrificed his life. The fishermen that brought him uh, said that they saw him being buried on the shore by the natives the next day. Did you know that only one out of four missionaries back in the early days of missionary activity in Congo, only one out of four made it back alive? Did you know that if that statistic was the the statistic today, Americans wouldn't go there? I only know of one missionary to North Korea. I was shocked when I met him at a church in Wyoming, an American missionary to North Korea. And he talked about how he goes to North Korea. And his uh, co-worker, uh, uh, North Korean himself, I believe, got uh, caught. And he's been put in jail, I believe, for 10 to 15 years in the labor camp. Wow, we need to have that vision for the harvest that will cause us to go no matter what the cost. Because the harvest needs to be reaped before it's too late. 2022, America's messed up. I know that. The world is messed up. But... The harvest is still there. And I could preach a whole another message on the revivals that have happened in the past and will happen even in the tribulation. And if God can do it in the future, during the tribulation, and he could do it during the time of the Apostle Paul, a time very much like today in, in the realm of wickedness, then he can do it even today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that the harvest is white. Help us to lift up our eyes and get your perspective on the 
the harvest. Help us to get a passion for souls. And Lord, may we truly and seriously and sincerely and effectively pray for the harvest. Lord, that the harvest would be reached. Lord, I, I thank you for this church's involvement in reaching the harvest field right here. Lord, I pray that each individual in this church would be involved in this harvest field. Lord, I pray for this uh, outreach that's going to be happening at the fair. Lord, I pray that a great harvest of souls would be reached. And Lord, encourage the laborers not to faint. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Esther Cole.